It is Tuesday, July 30th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. Jared and I each recently completed our Pros versus Joes drafts on myffpc.com. It's an annual event. It's put on by the FFPC and Fantasy Mojo, where there are six leagues, and each of the six leagues takes six fantasy industry analysts along with six experienced FFPC players, pits everyone against each other in a tournament. So, Jared, we have these six leagues of 12 teams apiece where you're not only trying to win that league, but ultimately you're trying to beat all the teams from all the leagues to win the big prize. And and really, before we get to the the rules, I always kind of chuckle at this point at calling it pros versus Joes because (laughs) I know that most of us make at least some amount of money writing about fantasy, but the guys we're playing against play FFPC all the time. And probably most of them are more comfortable even in this format than we are. Yeah. I believe that last year, five of the six leagues were run, were won by the Joes. So these are definitely some of the, I think, tougher drafts that we compete in every season. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they named this and treat it with, with tongue in cheek fully because there's, there's no lack of confidence in the players, and for good reason. It is FFPC scoring and lineup rules, and the key details for anybody who's not familiar there, you start two running backs, you start two receivers, you start one tight end. There are also two flex spots as well as kicker and defense. Tight ends here get one and a half points per reception, so we call it tight end premium. Uh, you know, It's not the only place that has the tight end premium scoring, but it's, it's probably the premier tight end premium scoring outlet. And that certainly makes a difference in where the tight ends get drafted. But I think that recaps of FFPC drafts and, you know, strategy here for tournaments and all that, it can have value even to people who are not specifically playing this format. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we can still, of course, compare players at their own positions as far as ADP goes. And I think it's just useful and a good reminder to make sure you're altering your draft strategy for the format you're playing. And that's, you know, I think that, that that's basic, but I think a lot of people still don't do that. Yeah. And that's where we're going to go first is talking about the strategy we had going in before we talk about the specific strategies. I think my key strategy point for me is to not get set in one particular approach where if something goes differently than how I'm expecting, I'm going to be thrown off and kind of get lost and flustered and, you know, let my draft go sideways. Yeah, that's a good philosophy to have in general. And I, I, I try to do that, though, but I, I am pretty committed to, to trying to get as many workhorse three down running backs as I can in these best leagues. I just think without without the in-season waiver wire to, you know, add a running back when, you know, when, you know the starter gets hurt, um, I, I think it's really important to sort of try to solidify your running back position early in the drafts because there's not a lot of usable running backs once you get into the double-digit rounds. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but the, the pros versus Joe's um, competition is best ball, so it's different than if we were playing this out. And I, I agree with you. I knew going in, I picked 10th. Uh, Jared, I forget where you picked. Was it 8th or 9th? Yeah, I was 8th. So I knew going in that I was probably going to open with running back, especially with how the holdouts are pushing running backs down the board and wide receivers have climbed up. A few wide receivers have climbed up into round one and Travis Kelsey is going to be earlier in this, in these drafts than he is elsewhere. But you know, the format here requires only two wide receiver starters. As I mentioned, best ball means I don't need to decide when those wide receivers start. Mm -hmm. So 
I knew I wanted to get some running backs at the start as long as it worked out that way. Because like you said, we can count on the workload there. And if you look at the at where those two positions finish uh, by the end of the year, the top of the running back board outscores the top of the wide receiver board. And then by the time you get to the bottom of the top 12, things start to even out and you see wide receivers pass and there's less space between the wide receivers as you move down that board than there are between the running backs as you move down there. So I'd like to get some guys that I think have a good shot at finishing high at running back. And then I'll take my chances putting together the wide receiver group from the lower ranked guys. Right, exactly. Like this year, as soon as we get to around the seventh round, I, I feel much better about the wide receivers available at that point than the running backs. So that, that's sort of the position I like to be attacking at that point rather than having to be reaching for running backs. Um, the, the other note about these FFPC best ball drafts is they go 28 rounds deep versus, you know, usually you're talking, you know, 18 to maybe 22. So going that deep, it helps you use, you know, quantity over quality at certain positions. And again, I think that works best at wide receivers. And you, you can pretty comfortably draft 10 wide receivers in this format and you not feel, you know, thin at the other positions. I think the 28 rounds too, also for me, makes me guaranteed to take three kickers and three defenses. And that's obviously easier with the additional roster spots. But, in, you know, the, the thinking with the third kicker and third defense is just that the volatility of those positions is going to make those guys much more likely to start for you in any given week than than, you know, say a seventh running back or a 10th wide receiver. Right. There are a few defenses that sc- that deliver more than uh, eight top 12 weeks. Uh, and and it, it doesn't tend to be predictable which defense or two is going to be able to get to that level. And kickers, we don't even know who's going to make it to the end of the season on the roster. And I think we'll get to some of their volatility uh, a little bit later. So I, I agree. I went in trying to get three of those of each of those. Considered four if things went that way. It didn't for me. I did end up with three. Uh, I, I went in expecting to target tight end, my first tight end, in like the round four, round five range. Because picking 10th, I knew that Travis Kelsey wasn't going to get to me. He certainly would have been my pick if he did, but I didn't expect him to get there. And two, three is just a little bit too early for me to go with Zach Ertz or George Kittle. I, I don't. I, I think that they... I think they sit well behind Travis Kelsey and floor heading then into this season. Yeah, I was, you know, maybe considering a George Kittle at uh, 205, but I, I was pretty certain that there was going to be a running back or a wide receiver that I valued more. And then my last point was stacking. I wanted to make sure to stack some players, quarterbacks and, and wide receivers, especially, and from good offenses if I could make it happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, these leagues are winner take all. I don't think you mentioned that, you know, the, the winner – of each of the 12 team leagues gets a free 2020 main event entry. You know, so you're you're definitely going for first place here. Second gets nothing. Do you know what the overall champ gets? I was realizing as I was getting ready for the show, that I don't know what the overall champ gets. The overall champ just gets pride, you know, in addition to the main event entry you get. There you go. So I'm just trying to beat 11 people and then I'll thump my chest if I can beat more than that. Exactly. As I mentioned, we both did drafts within the past week and a half. We're now going to go all the way through that, recap what we did, where strategy went right or wrong. Jerry, why don't you hit us with your first two picks, which actually turned out to be the same as my first two picks. Yeah, Joe Mixon at 108, Melvin Gordon at uh, 205. The eight spot for me is tough this year. Really, in the FFPC, once you get past you know those top five running backs and then Travis Kelsey. So from seven on, I think there's just a ton of different directions you can go. There's no clear cut, like number seven player for me. And, you know, the ADP seems to swing where, you know, Mixon might go, you know, at 109 in one draft and he might go, 
204 in another draft. So it's sort of tough, but Mixon was sort of the one guy I just didn't want to risk gambling on him making it back to me. Um, I love the talent. I love the volume that he's going to get in that offense. The offensive line obviously is a bit of a concern, but the offensive line wasn't good last year. And, you know, Mixon still finishes a top 10 running back. And I mean, the AJ Green injury adds some volatility risk to the Bengals offense as a whole. But looking back at last year, uh, Mixon averaged 16 and a half points per game over the final eight. That was after AJ Green's initial injury versus 18.6 PPR points over the first six games of the season that he played with Green in the lineup. That sounds like a fairly significant difference. The biggest difference in his numbers, though, was about 1.3 fewer targets per game with AJ Green out of the lineup. Now, I don't think that not having A.J. Green cut down Joe Mixon's targets. I think that was more of a product of Jeff Driscoll being in the offense late in the season and the Bengals just not being able to throw as much or as well. The rest of the numbers were very similar. Joe Mixon averaged 84.8 yards per game with A.J. Green in there, 82.4 yards per game on the ground uh, with A.J. Green out of there. So I think he's a good player. I think he'll get the ball a ton running it and catching it. And I was happy to take him at at 110. Yeah. And, you know, Zach Taylor, the new head coach, obviously still a bit of a question mark, but uh, I'm I'm just sort of banking on just some fresh blood there, you know, sort of just just boosting that offense a bit, which would obviously help Joe Mixon. For me, it was Joe Mixon over James Conner and over Julio Jones. Maybe if it had been three receivers that we start, I might have gone Julio there, but uh, as it is, the MVP board was like, dude, you're going to take a running back here, right? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. Right, yeah. Mixon was atop the board for me even at 108. Um, you know, Julio was my other consideration. And if this was a lineup setting league, that's probably where I go. But again, in best ball, I, I really like getting these, you know, workhorse running backs when I can. Yeah, 203 for me, it was Melvin Gordon over Todd Gurley and mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook. Dal- Dalvin Cook was probably closer than Todd Gurley. I, I-, I just couldn't pass on... If I truly believe that Melvin Gordon's going to be there in week one, and I do at this mm-hmm. point, I, I couldn't pass on a first-round running back at a second-round price. Yeah, and I, I went Gordon, too, at, at 205. And honestly, if I'm doing this draft again today, I, I think I might go Le'Veon Bell, who was still sitting there for me, or Todd Gurley over Melvin Gordon. And I, I like you, I still expect Gordon to be there week one. But I think I mentioned it last week, You know, if this holdout lasts until – late August, early September, I do worry a bit about, you know, one, Gordon's early season workload and two, just, you know, if, if he's going to be in game shape and if he's going to, you know, suffer a hamstring injury or something with all the, all the time off. So, you know, I, Gordon could still easily pay off big in, in the second round, but if I'm drafting today, I think I prefer Le'Veon Bell and even Todd Gurley. Yeah, I think the thing that pushed me finally toward Gordon is like, well, if I'm worried about his durability here, who am I going to take? Todd Gurley with the knee or Dalvin Cook coming off two straight uh, seasons, you know, with injuries. So there's certainly risk. Yep. 310 for me, it was Leonard Fournette. I chose him over a receiver. Uh, Keenan Allen was my specific consideration there. It was still just a matter of touch volume. Uh, You know, I thought about going receiver, but at this point, starting three running backs, is was more contrarian to what the rest of my league did than would even be starting with two receivers among my first three picks. Yeah, but I went running back in the third too. And I, I think I said, I love the third round running backs this year. Leonard Fournette and Devontae Freeman were both gone before 3-8. But I did have my choice between Aaron Jones and on Johnson. And those guys are super close for me right now. I did go Aaron Jones though at 3-0-8. And then at 4-0-5, I took my first wide receiver. And it was Julian Edelman for me. 
Um, I actually just missed on Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, who, who I would have taken either of those guys over Edelman, but like Edelman just fine. You know, he was he was 13th in this scoring system among wide receivers over his 12 games last season. Yeah, I was looking at um, Edelman. I was looking at Adam Thielen. Both of those guys went before my fourth round pick. So rather than reach for, and Edelman went the pick before I was up, the next guys on my board at, at wideout were Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods. Uh, but in, instead of going for a wideout, I went ahead and took my first tight end, Evan Engram, because I expect him to be a steady source of targets in this format where I want tight end reception ceiling. I figured that he acted more like a wide receiver one for me in the format here than the, the remaining wide receivers would have. I, I like Hunter Henry probably a little bit better overall if you're looking across formats, but I do have Evan Engram just ahead of Henry in PPR, and I have Engram projected for 25 more targets than Henry, and that was even before the Sterling Shepard injury, the Golden Tate suspension. We'll see if that gets overturned. So for me, Evan Engram felt like a fairly safe pick in round four of this tight end premium format. Right, exactly. I think the 1.5 PPR sort of just uh, you know grows that gap between Ingram and Henry a bit. And you know, like you said, with the uh, with all the wide receiver issues the Giants are having, you know Ingram could really be a target monster early with Golden Tate out and with Sterling Shepard potentially out. Fifth round for me, I went with Patrick Mahomes. I didn't expect to come away from this draft from the homes. I didn't expect Mahomes to be there at 508. He was at, he was easily the best player available according to the MVP board at this spot. And just looking at the other pros versus Joe's drafts that have happened so far, I think four of the other ones have gone off. Uh, Mahomes has gone anywhere from like a half a round to two rounds earlier than I got him. So I, I felt pretty good about the value there, even though, you know, I'm usually a late round quarterback guy. Yeah, our draft was the one where he went at 308. So uh, he was off the board by then. So not in consideration for me. 510, I took my first wide out, Alshon Jeffrey. And it wasn't like it wasn't a comfy pick. I would rather have Alshon in round six or later, but I took him over Cooper Cup, over Tyler Boyd, and kind of considered Chris Carson. So it really wasn't even that difficult a decision. And it helped me lean toward Jeffrey that I could uh, then be in the market for Carson Wentz a few rounds later. And, and I like that stack and buying into the Philly offense more than taking Cooper Cup on the knee and Tyler Boyd, who wasn't any better after AJ Green got hurt last year. And I got Alshon Jeffrey at 605, so take that. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if I could wait until the next round to take him, yeah. but I ultimately decided there was nobody that I was dying to have instead of him. Yeah, and I also considered Tyler Boyd at that spot, but didn't love the idea of having two bangles with my first six picks. Um, then I also considered Sammy Watkins just because I had just taken Patrick Mahomes to, so to get that stack. But for me, that there was a big enough gap between Jeffrey and Watkins that I, I didn't want to reach for Watkins just to get the stack. Oh, see, I think that's a fine spot for Watkins. And I, I don't know that there's really a gap between him and Jeffrey. I took Sammy Watkins after the turn at 6.03. Was tempted by Rashad Penny, but you know I already had the three touch hogs at running back. So mm-hmm. Sammy Watkins was a fairly easy choice in my second wideout. He was close to Tyreek Hill last year in target share when they shared games. And, you know, it's a couple of high-low wideouts here that will give me some big weeks, even if I'll have to wade through the yeah. low weeks. Yeah, I, I liked that pick for you over Rashad Penny, considering you know, what you already had at running back. Seventh and eighth round, I, I took two tight ends. Uh, Austin Hooper at 708, um, who, who I love. You know, he, he finished sixth among tight ends in this format 
last season. And that was despite just scoring on, you know, four of his 71 catches. So I think he could, you know, turn in another top six finish this year. Then at 805, I went David and Joku. And I, I might take this pick back if I could, because I did expect more tight ends to come off the board, you know, in the next few rounds. And, and I did want to get a second top 12 ish guy. So I might go a different direction, but I, I am excited about Njoku. I think, you know, there's obviously some target concerns with, with uh, Odell Beckham there now, but I, I still think Njoku's a big time talent. He's still just 22 years old entering his third NFL season. So I think, you know, he, he could definitely do more this year than he did last year. And even last year, he was, you know, a top 10 tight end in this format. Yeah, I actually took uh, Hooper in the same round, 7-10. MVP board was telling me to take Lamar Miller, which I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I thought about, but I really liked getting Hooper right there, anticipating like you that some tight ends were about to come off the board. No other tight ends got picked at the turn where, you know, maybe Austin Hooper would have made it back to me at 8.03. But if he didn't, the next guys were like Trey Burton, Kyle Rudolph. So I think there is a significant drop off there. Uh, and five of them went in the next round after my 8.03 turn. So I like I like Hooper, as we've said on the podcast here previously. I felt good about where he and Evan Ingram left me at tight end because I think that, especially if you haven't done a whole lot of FFPC drafting, this position can get a little scary with the scoring that's different than the formats that you're used to. And if they start flying off the board, you start wondering if you need to to reach for somebody amid a run. So I like getting Hooper here. I didn't love anybody to any other position. I think the upside's there. And then around the turn, I might have reached a little bit for Carson Wentz at 8.03. I, I didn't want to go quarterback quite this early, and maybe he would have gotten back to me at 9.10. He's been in that range in some other drafts. But mm-hmm. I already knew that I couldn't stack Patrick Mahomes with Sammy Watkins, who was my other receiver, along with Alshon Jeffrey. I've watched other stacks elude me in other drafts because I thought that I would be able to get that quarterback around later. I knew I didn't want to stack a Giants quarterback with Evan Ingram, and I didn't want to stack Andy Dalton with Joe Mixon. So, you know, it was one of those where I thought it was worth the reach, even though Carson Wentz was the fourth quarterback off the board here. We had three more quarterbacks go before what would have been my next pick, and then another nine between my 10th and 11 round picks. Yeah, I didn't mind that pick. In this format, um, with already having Alshon Jeffrey, I think, you know, if you're going to reach, that's kind of a spot to do. I think it's definitely within Wentz's range of outcomes to, you know, finish as a top three fantasy quarterback this season. I agree. And it was it was Carson Wentz or Corey Davis for me. And I figured the one I was more likely to regret passing on was Carson Wentz. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, just to go back to, to Hooper and talking about, you know, just give folks an idea of what the 1.5 PPR does for tight ends. Again, Hooper was sixth among tight ends in points last season in the FFBC. He was 23rd if you, you know, include him among the wide receivers. Um, you know, so th- that gives you an idea of how valuable some of these high volume tight ends are. Yeah. And of course, we can start two of them in a given week with those two flex spots. Right. So who'd you have in round nine? Yeah. 908 for me was Marquez Valdez Scantling um, so as my third wide receiver. Really. Mostly a bet on the Packers offense. And I do, it, you know, it does sound like MVS is, you know, locked in as a top three wide receiver there, maybe even a top two wide receiver. And the Packers have produced a pair of top 36 PPR wide receivers in six of the last eight seasons. So I think, you know, MVS ha- has a shot to produce as a wide receiver three this year. And he went at 802 in my draft. So I certainly don't think it's a reach at all. Now, I took Deion Lewis at 910, which. It looks like a, a reach if you compare him to ADP. I got him as as running back 42. On play draft, he's running back 52 or 53, depending on the range you're looking at. But 
I think that Deion Lewis is way underrated at his ADP. And the next four running backs off the board in my draft were Adrian Peterson, Justice Hill, Duke Johnson, Damian Harris. I don't think it's close between Deion Lewis and the rest of those guys. I got Deion Lewis in the 16th round, which is insane. Ridiculous. Running running back 64. Um, I, I think where you took him is where he should be going. So, you know, I don't, I don't think you overdrafted him, but you know, yeah, where I got him, it was just, it was stupid good value. I agree. Uh, round 10, what'd you take? So the more I look back at this draft, this actually might be my favorite pick and I didn't love it when I made it, but Darius Geis at 10 Oh five, um, as the 42nd running back off the board, obviously, obviously some risk. I mean, you know, he, he had the ACL last year, had some hamstring trouble this spring, has Adrian Peterson there to still contend with four carries, but Geis avoided the pup list, open training camp. He's reportedly been a full go. I, I still think he has the talent to sort of cast AP aside and be the clear lead ball carrier in Washington this season. And if he does that, you know, he, he's going to crush a running back 42 price tag. Geis went at 6'11 as running back 32 in my draft. So I think that your your draft just didn't, it just hates running backs. Yeah, I, I wasn't planning on taking Geis, but he was just sitting there and I, I, I couldn't couldn't pass him up. Yeah, I took Deshaun Jackson over D.D. Westbrook at that point, and I, the winner there is taking the guy to stack with Carson Wentz. I know that Alshon Jeffrey's volatile, so I'm going to take the other volatile guy in Philly and and figure that any time that Carson Wentz has a big game, I've got it covered with those two big play wideouts. Right, yeah. I mean, if, if Philly's a top-five passing game this season, you're in business. Yeah, if Philly sucks, then I'm in trouble, but I'm betting that that's not going to be the case. Yep. Um, so 11.08 for me was Emmanuel Sanders, a guy who's you know cl- climbed up the DS rankings. He's climbed up my personal rankings quite a bit. I mean, I, I didn't expect him to be ready for week one after last December's torn Achilles, but Sanders was not placed on pup to open training camp. He's even been participating in team drills, drills already. So you know, if he's anything close to the guy he was last year, you know, he, he has a real chance to lead the Broncos in targets this season. Sanders was sitting 15th among wide receivers and PPR points before going down last season. I'm not expecting that level of production this season, but even if you can you know, give me top 30 production, he's a nice pick in the 11th round. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that Phillip Rivers was going to get to my 11th round pick at 11-10 so that I could stack him with Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon's holdout aside, four touchdown catches each of the past two years for Gordon. And the team has finished top 14 in the league in both scoring and yards for three straight years. So I want, I, I like the Phillip Rivers, Melvin Gordon stack in general for a tournament mm-hmm. setup because I like to wrap up the, the Chargers scoring. I think you could stack Rivers with, you know, Keenan Allen. I'm not drafting Mike Williams, but if you have Mike Williams, then, then stack him with a couple of receivers or with Hunter Henry. Rivers has been a regular target for me. Unfortunately here, he went off the board two picks before my turn. So I thought about which way to go here, ended up going for Dak Prescott because I knew that the two drafters behind me were likely to go quarterback. I think one guy had one and one guy had zero. So I thought that there might be as many as three quarterbacks coming off the board at that turn. And that's exactly what happened. The next three picks after mine were Lamar Jackson, Mitchell Trubisky, Josh Allen. I have Dak Prescott way ahead of those guys in my projection. So that's why I went that direction instead of taking a shot on whoever the next uh, running back wide receiver was. Yep. That's a nice job of, uh, like you said, you know, recognizing what the, what the guys behind you might be taking and sort of hopping on deck. And, you know, I think uh, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott quarterback combo is about as draft sharks as it gets this season. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) I took Jimmy Garoppolo at 1205. After I took Mahomes, I I was pretty set on only taking 
one other quarterback versus, you know, if I had waited longer, I might be rolling with three quarterbacks. But with Mahomes, I felt good having two. But I also know in these FFPC basketball drafts, there are some crazy quarterback runs where you know, you'll see 10 plus guys come off the board in, in the span of a couple of rounds. So I didn't want to miss out and end up with, you know, a guy like Eli Manning is my quarterback too. So I, so I wanted to lock up Jimmy G here. Yeah, I, I agree. The runs can be a little bit daunting here, the, or the prospect of a run, especially if you're at one end of the round or the other. So yeah, I was glad to get Dak Prescott where I did, not have to worry about quarterback. Like you, I was figuring I would probably sit on two of them at that point, and that is where I ended up ultimately. Round 12, I got our guy, my guy, Tyrell Williams, probably <laughs> my easiest pick of the draft. I might have been able to get him three rounds later, but I don't care. I don't regret taking him even the slightest. The next set of uh, wide receivers after him the other wide outs to go in round 12 zay jones golden tate paris campbell Deshaun hamilton i do not understand why fantasy drafters hate tyrell williams this year nope me either i've been i've been trying to fix it but uh you know i guess i guess i don't have that type of power as long as we fix it just for ds subscribers <laughs> that's all we really need to right. do exactly yeah um yeah so yeah, you know, this is the spot of the draft right. Just sort of start loading up on wide receivers because I only have what four at this point. So with my next three picks, I took Devin Funchess, then I took Tyrell Williams, of course, then I took Deshaun, Deshaun Hamilton. Um, yeah, I think Funchess and Williams both have a real chance to see a hundred plus targets this season. So you know, getting those guys in the thirteenth and fourteenth round, I like that a lot. Deshaun Hamilton, you know, he's he's like a He's half handcuffed to Emmanuel Sanders, but I also think it's possible that Sanders and Hamilton have standalone fantasy value this season. They should, just looking at what Denver has at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13-10, I took Devin Singletary. I was looking at Deontay Foreman, but he was off the board, considered receivers, had four of those guys, so I didn't feel like I needed to. So it was kind of a spot to play with, and I'm not huge on Devin Singletary or the Buffalo backfield, but at 13-10, I'll take a guy who might lead his team in carries. Then around the turn, Michael Gallup over Anthony Miller. And I mean, the tiebreaker between those two players for me is that I had Dak Prescott. So Gallup is the stack mm-hmm. with him, whereas Anthony Miller would have been a standalone bear. And then at 15-10, you know, I was figuring I needed at least one more tight end, maybe two more at some point. I took Benjamin Watson. And at that point, he was the 30th tight end off the board. Maybe he ends up being a bust, but it's a low mm-hmm. risk pick there. And if he is their number one tight end after he returns from the suspension, which Seems kind of likely based on who else they have at this point. Uh, I think it was a solid shot to take. Yeah, I've been reading some good stuff about the connection that Watson's building with Tom Brady early in training camps. Yeah, I think he's a, I think he's a good bet to to be their lead pass catcher after that suspension. And we aging guys tend to stick together, so that can only help with connection. You got it exactly. Um, yeah, so so like I said, 16th round was Deion Lewis for me. 17th round, I took another one of my favorites, Muhammad Sanu. The guys finished 30th and then 31st among wide receivers and PPR points the past two seasons. I got him here as the 69th wide receiver off the board, so I think big value there. Then 18th round, I took another wide receiver in Debo Samuel, who I'm surprised isn't getting a bit more love just you know as an early second round pick with a pretty clear path to be a top two wide receiver in San Francisco this year. I, I'm surprised by that as well. Uh, round 17 for me was also Mohamed Sanu. And <laughs> at the point where I took Tyrell Williams in round 12, the MVP board was saying take Sanu. And I was like, nah, MVP board, I think we can wait a little bit longer because nobody wants to draft him. Sure enough, five rounds later, I get him as a wide receiver 70. So I'm with you on the value there. Round 16, I landed Gio Bernard, who I think is a fine pick in that range anyway, even if I didn't start the draft with Joe Mixon. I think the fact that I did start with Mixon only helps because then, you know, along with 
maybe yet having a standalone starter week here or there. Mm-hmm. Bernard got huge handcuff upside with Mixon. And then in round 18, I decided it was time to start the kickers before I got caught on the wrong end of a run. There were four off the board when I made my pick right there. I took Jake Elliott at 18.03, and then nine more got drafted before my next turn. Nice pick with Jake Elliott. I took him in the 19th round. So yeah, so the 19th round is when I started to stockpile my kickers and D's. So I ended up getting three of each. Uh, Jake Elliott, Adam Vinatieri in the 19th and 20th. I took Eagles defense in the 21st, Cardinals D in the 23rd, Jets D in the 24th, and then Austin Seibert, uh, the Browns rookie kicker in the 25th. And between those kickers and D's, I also took Ben Watson uh, in the 22nd round. Yeah, I took another kicker in the in the 19th round. I took Austin Seibert there. It was the 15th kicker off the board. Went ahead of Dan Bailey, Graham Gano. I know that's risky. He's competing right now. I figure, though, he's got to have the edge if he if he doesn't suck. I, I know that he's gotten off to a rough start. A rough start. Yep. So we'll see where that goes. Maybe that ends up being a wasted pick. But I was going kickers and defenses, and I, I, I opted for the draft pick on the offense that I expect to be good over, uh, I don't know, some other guys that have been shaky at times anyway. Yeah, when you know when a team spends a fifth round pick on a kicker, you know that that, that guy's got to be really bad to you know not end up end up getting the week one nod. And you know, I I, I don't know if you read the uh, article from Jason Lockenfor that that did did say Cybert's been struggling early, but I think we'll get it together. Hopefully, yeah, I actually read that um, after doing the draft. But oh yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I took defenses and two straight picks. Patriots, the Patriots defense, I like better after looking more into the schedules because. The Patriots, from weeks two through seven, they're at Miami, home for the Jets, at Buffalo, at Washington, home for the Giants, at the Jets. So early in the season, I think they're going to be a strong defense. And then at the end of the year, they're at Cincinnati in week 15, home against the Bills in week 16. So those stretches alone, I think, make them solid. Followed with the Chiefs as the 15th defense off the board. Took Matt Gay around the turn in round 22. Another rookie who's competing for a job with his team, but... 26th kicker off the board. If he does win the job, he's in a good yeah. offense, and he's already showed off that he has a strong leg. So I think long field goals would be in the offense. One of those rookies will end up actually kicking for you this season. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Fingers crossed for that. Yeah. Uh, so last three picks for me here. Uh, 26th round, CJ Uzoma. So, you know, just a fourth tight end. Basically hoping he gives me some starter weeks when Tyler Eifert misses games because we know Tyler Eifert is going to miss games. 27th round, Cole Beasley. You know, not exciting, but I mean, the guy the guy has an outside chance to lead the Bills in targets this season. So 27th round, I'll take that. Then 28th round, I couldn't not take Theo Riddick. <laughs> and this was before he got cut by the Lions. And I, I knew, you know, we, we've heard all spring that there was a chance Riddick gets cut by the Lions. Um, but, he, you know, he's already made visits to the Saints and Broncos. I think he's going to get signed somewhere. And, you know, hopefully he plays some sort of pass catching role there. And if he gives me two starter weeks in the 28th round, I'll take that. Right. Uh, I took my third defense at the end of round 23. And just to let people know the status of drafting defenses there, mm-hmm. it was the 29th defense off the board there with another five more rounds to draft. And all 32 defenses did end up getting drafted. Round 24, I took Rex Burkhead because why not? <laughs> I mean, I was hoping for the Bengals defense in there, got stuck with the Dolphins. Then I took uh, Rex Burkhead over the two remaining defenses. I, I don't know if he's going to make the roster. If he does make the roster, I think there will be at least one or two weeks where Rex Burkhead scores a time or two. And I mean, most recently, we saw him in the playoffs last year, 41 touches, mm-hmm. three total touchdowns. So we know that that's some upsides there if he gets on the field. 
Then finished up with Trent Taylor, Ty Montgomery, Vernon Davis, Alfred Blue. Trent Taylor is kind of like the Cole Beasley in San Francisco. Just like with Buffalo, the Niners don't really have a you know set in stone hierarchy at at wide receiver. Trent Taylor played through a return from back surgery last year. I think he'll be healthier this year, and he performed fairly well with Jimmy Garoppolo late in uh, 2017. I don't want to sell him too hard, but there's some upside at the end of a draft. Ty Montgomery has a little bit of handcuff upside with both Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder. I think he's working as a hybrid. He's listed as a running back slash wide receiver for the Jets on their roster. And honestly, I feel like round 27 might've been my worst pick of the draft (laughs) because I was looking at Frank Gore, who's for some reason still on the board at that point, and Vernon Davis. At the last minute, I I talked myself into Vernon Davis because the Jordan Reed owner was at the turn. (laughs) Vernon Davis is there as my fourth tight end. Frank Gore got chosen with the next selection. And as soon as I saw him go, I was like, man, I should have taken Frank Gore because he could end up leading Buffalo in carries this year. Yeah, but you stuck it to the Jordan Reed owner. So that's all that matters. (laughs) Right. I hope that the other guy was going to take Vernon Davis, but I haven't bothered to ask because I don't want to know the truth. (laughs) I did take Alfred Blue with my last pick. He, I, until I hear otherwise, he's the handcuff. You're looking to do that. Yeah. I, I just wanted to go back about the point you were making about the kickers and defenses. Cause that's something I've learned doing these FFPC best balls now is that when those kickers and D's start going, they fly off the board. So as much as you want to pass on them for, you know, that wide receiver you're excited about, I think, I think it's important to, you know, sort of realize when that run is coming and again, make sure, make sure you get at least two of them. But I, I, I mean, I'm a big proponent of getting three kickers and three defenses. Yeah, the first time I did one of these, I was like, oh, I can wait on a kicker, I can wait on a kicker. And I was like, oh, crap, yeah. where did all the kickers go? So, yeah, I, I, I look ahead, if you can, at ADP or at previous drafts you've done or at any of these or whatever to figure out the range in which they're going to start going so that you can get on the train before it, it leaves you behind. I agree. This is all about our specific drafts. If you are interested in playing FFPC, you can go to myffpc.com, myffpc.com. Lots of different contests on there. You don't have to be a pro or a Joe. You can play best balls or whatever. That's going to do it for this draft recap episode of the podcast. You can head over to draftsharks.com now and read Jared's full recap of his pros versus Joe's draft on the site as an article. Make sure to read all about our comeback player of the year. That's the first of our annual big three articles. It just hit the site today. It's, of course, only for DS insiders. And really, if you haven't joined up already, it's starting to get kind of late in the draft season. So it's time for you to go ahead and do it. You can take advantage of our no-risk money-back guarantee. Give us a try. See if we work out for you. I think we will. We will also be back this Thursday with our first mailbag podcast of the year. Expect to hear from us twice a week as the season draws closer. And then once the regular season kicks off, we're going to be at it even more. So you're probably going to get sick of us. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 